1: Hey, everyone, it's Raghu Marcus back with Mind Rolling and uh, somebody who uh, I haven't actually physically seen in a long time. Like so many of us, we have a lot of people. Boy, we haven't seen you in a couple of years. It's kind of weird. Uh, Danny Goldberg. Danny, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to have you. You too.
2: So I mean, great to be had. <laughs>
1: Well, that's like the, that reminds me of Keith Richards when some he was on a a, a talk show or something and uh, the uh, host said really great to have you here Keith and and Richards when Keith Richards said oh, happy to be anywhere yeah <laughs> happy yeah. to be anywhere yeah really huh. So we haven't seen each other in a while, as I said, and uh, Danny has some wonderful podcasts on Be Here Now Network, He, uh, which he stopped after a certain amount of them were done, great ones with all sorts of wonderful people, to devote himself to his writing part of his career. And, uh, and so ensued, currently, a book called "Bloody Crossroads Twenty Twenty: Art, Entertainment, and Resistance to Trump," which is coming out or out when? It it was published on November second. Oh, just came so, out this as we is, uh, as we speak. It's been out for a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So certainly want to talk about that, and uh, but at the same time, want to just catch up with you in terms of. Um, What's been going? What's gone on? uh, In your how you can just relate your own your life, your personal uh, experience with uh, what has been going on with the pandemic, racial justice, uh, 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 on and on and on. Of course, Trump's been gone, but he's not gone. That's the interesting thing. As I read through this book, by the way, this book, everybody, has the kind of detail that it would be, I mean, it's extraordinary, Danny. How the heck? I bet that was one of my main questions. This must have taken some real, I mean, forget research. Did you do this on your own?
2: I did. I did it completely on my own. Um, and um, obviously, it was mostly written during lockdown. So I, I had um, I, I, I had the ability to concentrate. Uh, I had no choice but to concentrate. And um, <laughs> I, I had a, you know, I, I kind of knew what I was looking for. And uh, there are things I don't like about the internet age. But one of the things I do like about it is you can, you know, you can research on it. You don't have to go to a physical library the way people used to have to do to do research. Mm. And, uh, you know, I I did about 30 interviews for it, but the majority of it was really just researching and then curating from thousands of different examples of political art, political comedy, political songs, as well as activism by artists, singers, actors, directors, and so on. And it was kind of interesting for me as a writer, because it was the first time I was documenting something in real time. Usually I've written about things from Mm. the past. And although the first section of the first one fourth of the book covers some historical context, the majority of it was the year 2020, the year of that campaign. And I just, uh, you know, I just spent a few hours a day. um, One part of it was researching and the other part of it was looking at the old research and turning it into prose and rewriting and that whole thing. Mm. So it it just, it's just became kind of an obsession. Which is the best way to do a book, because it's you have to kind of be obsessed to want to go through the process of it, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, uh anyhow, it's pretty extraordinary everybody out there, and uh, those of you who have feel akin to uh the reality, which has been going on since i well. Danny and I, I guess, were hippies back in the 60s, 70s. Um, The importance of music uh, in my own life is uh, paramount. And I know Danny because this was Danny's career uh, throughout his life. And uh, I just... So one, one question... That's more like an interview question, and I don't even do that. But I was curious about it. Is um, how did you personally feel as you as you went through? You did all this research. You uh, found these incredible uh, stories of different uh, artists and and what they have done, what they represent, and so on. How did how does that hit you? Personally, after all these years being in the music business and being involved in uh, in politics and being so uh, having so much care about the uh, union of art and really social life, including politics and so on, how did well, that hit you?
2: Um. Firstly, I I had this idea for a while that the political media, the historians, the journalists cover uh, too narrow a band of America that I think they have hard jobs. I, I think they probably do their jobs. The good ones do them. The best, you know, of what can be done, but it's so framed by the polarity and the dialogue that's created in, in, in Washington, and and the research they do about swing voters and all this sort of thing. But the actual sort of moral and ethical conversation going on writ large in the country as a whole is wider, and there are other participants. And artists are among them. They're certainly not the only ones. They're religious leaders, they're academics. Uh, there are just people you know, talking around the proverbial kitchen table or, you know, I mean, you can't say the bar or the barbershop when you're talking about the pandemic year, but the, the, the metaphorical conversations people have, but there's just no question that the creative community has a vast audience. And, uh, you know, someone like Taylor Swift, you know, had more Twitter followers than Trump did. And, um, and so I I wanted to widen the lens. Then the other feeling uh, And I felt that for a while, that there was something too narrow about the sort of official political conversations going on that that were dealing with, with, um, you know, only part of the process by which society as a whole makes decisions. Then um, I did believe, and this was the impetus for the book, that there was a big paradigm shift after Trump uh, uh, was named president by the Electoral College. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I say it that way cause he did get fewer votes than Hillary Clinton, but that's the system, the undemocratic quasi democratic system that we
1: mm-hmm.
2: inherited from the, from the 18th century. And that, 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 that there was a huge influx of energy in the creative community, um, as a whole, uh, I think part of that was motivated by the fact that Trump himself really was created by Hollywood I mean, it was the 14 years of him starring in The Apprentice that sort of branded him, you know, as the uh, great businessman and the celebrity that he then was able to very skillfully use to attain political power. And I think a lot of people in the entertainment business felt that, you know, reality television has very little to do with reality and that these are scripted, edited things. And if those kind of skills, those kind of storytelling skills were going to actually determine Policy about you know family separation of the borders, or tax rates for billionaires, or all sorts of other things that that, that they a lot of artists who previously were not involved got involved. Somebody like uh, uh, Robert De Niro, I don't remember him ever saying anything political before Trump was president, and then he was like constantly mm. talking about it. And in main you know pop icons, the previous generations of. Gigantic pop stars, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, um, Justin Timberlake, Uh, very rarely, maybe Madonna would be involved with a particular issue like gay rights, but very, very limited in any political content, whereas this generation of Demi Lovato and Cardi B and Taylor Swift felt it was just part of their calling Mm. to to, to do it. And, uh, you know, when Jon Stewart started The Daily Show, uh, when he started hosting it, I think it was 1999. He was the only one every night combining comedy and politics. After Trump, it was every show every night. Yeah. Um, so the, the the magnitude of the phenomenon of artists wanting to participate was greater. And then the final element that's unique about these, you know, the Trump years was that the evolution of the of the mass media and the growth of social media. So you have this fragmentation that that makes it comp that, that, that gives an advantage to people who are already famous whether it's lebron james or cardi b or 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 trump so it was just a different playing field and level of intensity of the kind of discourse going on at that level people refer to it in shorthand as twitter but it's not just twitter it's the whole panoply of social media and digital media combined with the old media just just that's Phenomenon sort of gave a greater uh, voice, I think, to the to this newly motivated creative community. So I just found that things I'd kind of been interested in for a long time. I mean, look, going back to Uncle Tom's Cabin, we've had uh, art influence American political moral ideas. Um, you know, the Harriet Beecher Stowe anti-slavery novel that Lincoln credited with turning a lot of white opinion against slavery. Um, and even in history of Europe, go back to the ancient Greeks or the Victor Hugo or, you know, there's been a long tradition of of artists commenting on the issues of the day uh, because they have a different perspective and a different relationship with the public than conventional politicians do. But the intensity level uh, in the last few years, I think, is unprecedented. And I just wanted to document it and also just try to, you know, because this is, you know the Be Here Now network. I do want to say, you know, and to try to tune into what mm. are the moral and spiritual underpinnings of this conversation. That to just get so there's such an addictive quality to the tit for tat of yeah. the day by day, 24 hour news cycle that I would often get nauseated even by people I agreed with yeah. the, politically because the the didactic. Divisive tit for tat nature of it, and it's to find the balance between righteously standing up for what you believe and still having compassion for the humanity of everybody else is a um, is a tremendous challenge in the modern era. And there were some artists who 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 owned that and who tried to address it in a way that people running for office couldn't couldn't address it. And I think again, I think it expanded the conversation. So. You know that's what the book is about, and um, mm. I just feel um, glad that creative people exist. Uh, they're flawed human beings. Uh, some of them are not very nice people. Some of them are very self-centered. Some of them are not that bright outside of their particular vocation. But I think adding their voices to those of people who make their living by getting elected and re-elected, or who make their living by getting ratings on a news show uh, makes the society a little better instead of a little worse. And uh, you know, these are times that try men's souls, you know, as Thomas (laughs) said back in the day, and Uh, uh, I just try to find heroes and people to admire. And mm. uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the quest, but uh, you know, I, how did I feel? Uh, Depends what day you would ask me as many days. It depends which hour of the day, you know, it's (laughs) a roller coaster.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's one right at the very beginning of the book, though. There's one quote that you make that is a guide star to to the issue, basically. And you quote Bruce Springsteen. There are two sides of the American character. Uh, one is transient, restless, solitary, of which, of course, Bruce represented in three quarters of his songs that he ever wrote. In yeah, some point to another. Run. Yeah. yeah. But the other, he says, is collective and communal, in search of family, deep roots, and a home for the heart to reside. These two sides rub up against one another, uh, one another always and forever. In everyday American life, boy, th- that does succinctly say uh, very much what's going on. He's he's uh, he's got a gift for words, that dude. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh,
2: and and you know, he's certainly one of the characters in the book. Uh, first of all, I had met him forty years ago when he did his first political stuff with the No Nukes concert. Secondly, he's he was so engaged in twenty twenty. He actually narrated one of Biden's TV ads. He performed right after the inauguration, uh, et cetera. And he commented, particularly after the murder of George Floyd, many, many. He had this radio show on Sirius that he started during the the, uh, pandemic. So, and he's an extraordinary poetic soul who tries to maintain. He told me, he said, look, he has family members who voted for Trump. You know, he he's not he knows that parts of his audience did that. That I think that although he's very clear in his opinions, I think he had a compassionate understanding of those different forces.
1: Uh-huh. And that is what a do you complicated have going on right now.
2: Jesus. Well, I'm in uh, Manhattan, New York City, you know, and that's uh, that's uh, there's obviously a um, there's something you know, an going ambulance on through a now. police car.
1: As Rosanna Dana Dana, whatever, says, always something, is always something, yeah. That, oh, so, yeah, uh,
2: that, that cosmic thing of individuality versus community, and, and I relate to that myself. I mean, as you say, you and I from the hippie generation, I mean, part of what uh, I was really into was my own individuality and not having to obey the rules. And who's why should anyone tell me not to smoke dope, or why should anyone tell me to go into? to Vietnam or things like that, but there is a balance between individuality and community that it, that's the struggle of civilizations, you know, and great philosophers have written about it. And, uh, you know, there is a sense that things are a little tipped out of balance. Uh, you know, um, there's something about this wonderful technology that allows us to do this conversation and allows podcasts to exist. And allows so much information yeah. available that's also um, somehow shredded the idea of community as a whole uh, in a way that feels a little weird.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. But uh, li- uh, those of you who are listening, I, because we know each other so well, uh, I forget that uh, I have to mention, of course, we did mention Danny's been in the music business uh, for a very long time and involved with running Warner's division and um, Polygram. Remember that name? That's gone.
2: Well, the name Mercury still exists. Yes, Uh, that's
1: true. Yeah, right. But um, all the old
2: companies, look, when when I was at... uh, when you and I were working together uh, when you had TriLocal records and I was at Mercury, I mean, the big media thing was MTV. Uh, the mm-hmm. big retail thing was best buy and tower records. Um, these, some of these things either don't exist or they're so totally uh, different. And, you know, instead, you know, we have the phenomenon of streaming and uh, it's just a different uh, playing field, but um, the moral Arguments between individualism versus community, Mm -hmm. uh, tribe versus inclusiveness. Um, those are the same arguments that have gone on, you know, before there was, you know, television, during television, digital time. You you know, these are old, old moral conversations almost that uh, my goodness, I was reading today. I downloaded onto the Kindle, the collected works of Vivekananda. So, cause I've just not, I've read Ramakrishna so many times and I never really read mm. Vivekananda. And huh. now I have hundreds of pages on the Kindles. Um, and I started, and right at the beginning, he's talking about how in 1893, the forces of fanaticism and tribalism, and you would have thought he was talking about
1: oh my god right yeah. now.
2: And this was from 130 years ago. You know, before there was radio, before there was, uh, you know, I don't think anyone was driving in cars yet or or no airplanes. And, <laughs> uh, you know, India was still a colony of the United Kingdom and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, I, 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 some of the conversation in his, uh, you know, speech, at, he made this famous speech in Chicago at some convention of big thinkers. I, I mean, it could have been last week you know the moral the moral questions the questions of mm. how people live together mm. so um it's it's kind of interesting to explore that and i think artists explore that in a different way and through a different lens than than a journalist or politicians and we need both we need journalists we need politicians somebody has to do these jobs it's a different skill set i admire people who run for office but i also admire artists who who widen the frame of the conversation
1: yeah so uh I was giving a little bit of your specific oh, background. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> and uh but more to the point, you know, and your involvement with the ACLU and I mean Danny everybody out there has really uh lived in a in a few different worlds uh, and for a very long time including <laughs> the world of Consciousness. I actually. Well, you've you've lived a pretty long time too. Are you younger than me? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I'm be,
2: 71. What? What are you? I'm going to be
1: 59 next yeah. week. Uh, <laughs> Is that Jack Benny? I don't know. 40 no.
2: Thirty. Thirty nine. No. 39, Jack Thirty nine. You, yeah. <laughs> you got
1: to advance it. Yeah. Uh, Anyhow, but more to the point, I have always, Danny, wanted to check in with you around all of what we are talking about right now. Because I find myself getting uh wrapped up in the polarization by yeah. virtue of the finger pointing and shaking at uh whatever the latest horror is on 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 the news or social media whatever it is, and I always count on you for a more a broader perspective that includes history that it, and you've mentioned a couple of things this has been going on forever i mean this uh the way the tribalism and the polarity and then the commentary from bards you know back in the day they would be called bards that are yeah, singing yeah. different yeah 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 so this uh it, that perspective really really does help and as does the perspective as you said a little bit earlier There is, we are engaged with what we are engaged in now, which includes a lot of fear around from the the virus and the pandemic. It includes the polarization, tribal fears. Um, It includes feeling like, wow, is there anything that is going to transform this kind of situation? And then that takes me back to what you said about, we have to include consciousness perspective, spiritual perspective. Mm. And and what I always point to is Ramdas saying, until we really clean up our own hearts, it's very difficult to be effective in any kind of uh, social action. That doesn't mean you stop until you get there, which may be a few thousand lifetimes where you actually love everyone. Uh, as uh, Ramdas actually got to to a, to a great degree in his life, um, but um, you do them both at the same time, and that's I think what this is all about. This uh, and you writing this book and um, giving a real perspective on the importance of, uh, especially in this age, of speaking out. When you have that kind of audience. And
2: I think different artists have different levels of consciousness also like any other community. But the best of them, like Springsteen or like Amandy Patinkin, mm. uh, who is very, very active in the campaign and just was very recently been very active in, in being one of the many chorus of people to try to get the uh, death sentence commuted in Oklahoma, yeah. which was successful, um, you know, frames a lot from his uh, Jewish faith, his idea of justice uh, uh, he's very into trying to understand and have compassion for people he disagrees with, but also unafraid to take a, a position, even if it's if it's controversial. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I I think that artists struggle with this the way the rest of us do how to how to love everybody and still stand up for right, what you perceive as right versus what you perceive as Justice. wrong. Yeah, and and uh, it's a it's a uh, it's a it's not an easy place to be, but you, you, you know, you, it, it's, it's what's required. I mean, and, and it is harder the more millions or hundreds of millions of people are involved in the conversation. I mean, my wife's um, uh, brother is the mayor of a very small town in Northern Connecticut, which has uh, voted 65% for Trump. It's a town of about 3000 people. He's a lefty, you know, uh, politically, but he knows his neighbors. He cares about fixing a bridge or what the funding is for the school and deals with those issues. And, and you know, every issue became polarized. One of the character signature characteristics of this Trump era has been the um, everything becomes politicized, like wearing a mask or getting yeah, a vaccine. Yeah, I mean, insane. there were always there were always um, polarizing feelings in the society, at least going back to the Civil War, but and the McCarthy period and all the Vietnam period. But but the, the fact that everything sort of somehow so many other things and and but he's been able to deal with it. He's going to, I think, write about this in a couple of years when he's out of office, because the scale of the conversations is small enough that it's 50 people in a room. It's one on one. It creates a context to try to Remember, OK, well, you might disagree about politics, but you might like the same food. You might, you know, your kid might go to the same school, you know, and and, and that there are models of people dealing with disagreements in, in a productive way. And it's kind of the soul of what democracy is supposed to be. But the more and more it becomes so many millions and tens of millions of hundreds of millions of people and the ability to. Uh, uh, you know, isolate uh, small groups uh, in this sort of uh, way of demonizing the other. And, uh, you know, look, it's very, you know, am I, if I see someone wearing a MAGA hat, uh, do I have a set of assumptions about them? Uh, I do. And I don't want to uh, deny the humanity of that person, even while I don't want to deny my abhorrence with what I consider to be racist or uh other immoral aspects of that particular presidency. Mm. It's mm. it's it's a balance that's uh,
1: very if you tough. Do
2: it right could 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 deal with some of the same things we have to deal with as spiritual people. And uh, again, I think artists contribute to that conversation. I mm. think I think not every artist does, but I think writ large, that community tunes into different parts of the psyche, to the emotional world, to a deeper place than just the bumper sticker slogan part of politics. So um, you know, I I think uh, you know uh, I I would always turn up the volume on artists, even the artists that I don't like, uh, mm-hmm. because I think I think they, they they're tuned into a wider spectrum.
1: Yeah, and 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 one you reminded me of something as I was reading, uh, and it was about uh, the Showtime show Billions. Yes, and I'm reading, and I'm going. Yeah, I'm like I was completely into that show, and uh, for years. And then, as I read this, I start to look at myself and go, "What was attractive this horrendous, uh, you know, person who was a little bit multifaceted in terms of uh, who ran the 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 fund, and then the prosecutor who was also completely." a very, uh, an appetizing character, yeah, yeah. you know, in yeah. terms of completely being lost. I'm what I'm thinking, I wonder what was attracting me to this. Well, show.
2: I spoke, you know, the, the, the person who created that series or certainly Top one on of it. the creators and the showrunner, Brian Koppelman, yeah. I, I spoke to, uh, for the book, uh, mostly he oh, wanted to talk off the record uh, you know, he understood, I think, that the fan base for Billions includes Trumpers and anti-Trumpers and how people kind of felt about Axe, you know, Axelrod, yeah. Bobby Axelrod, yeah. the, the anti-hero right. of it, uh, you know, was was instructive. And um, that's, that's in a category of a wider category of art that's been very popular over the last decade, mostly in these... Um, series starting i think with the sopranos and including breaking bad and including nurse jackie and six feet under and a lot of other ones where the there was a sense among a lot of creative people that the anti-hero had more authenticity that it represented more accurately the conflicts within us and as opposed to the airbrushed hero and um you know, I've often wondered, did that go too far? I mean, (laughs) like you talk about Bobby Axelrod, what about Tony Soprano? You know, uh, you know, uh, and, um, and yet I watched every single episode of both of those series. There's more billions to come. I think in January, I think there's a new season. And I think the advantage of that kind of art is it allows us to explore these things inside ourselves. And it's a question of, what is the line between shining a light on a certain kind of dark, a a, a certain kind of bad behavior and, and glamorizing it. And uh, that's, it's the difference in a way between good art and bad art. Um, I will say again, I haven't missed an episode of billions yet. (laughs) Uh, And uh, there's not a lot of people to root for. Um, Mm. But I will tell you one series that has gotten even better if this year is, uh, curb your enthusiasm. I oh. mean, La- Larry David Second. is getting so sophisticated. This most recent one where he dealt yeah. with a, <laughs> an encounter with a clan member.
1: Yeah. Um, that's so terrific. You no, know,
2: he is, uh, in the comedy realm dealing with some of the deepest issues of race and, uh, and tribalism with humor and with it, with a level of, uh, of poetic insight, you know, I in general again I, I I think art is a plus um, but <laughs> but billions is interesting that way you exa- I know exactly what you mean I I found myself addicted to it and yet wondering by the way, succession is the same thing. Yeah. Who, are you yeah, supposed to root for? Exactly. Who am I so rooting for I in that in that show? Yeah. And that, <laughs> there's something fascinating about it. But this goes back to a long tradition. If you look at Shakespeare's tragedies, I mean, not a lot of sympathetic characters necessarily, but yet by shining a light on the humanity, um, somehow can open your heart more, you know, or open your mind more. Uh, so I give a lot of birth, although I think there are some part, pieces of art that are just flat out dark and, uh, and bring out the worst in people. Um, but um, I, I, do, uh, I do share your uh, inexplicable affinity for billions. And a <laughs> yeah. I, I compliment but was listen. so cagey. I mean, he didn't want to be quoted about the election, oh, really? but then he tweeted something uh, very, very critical of Trump. So I said, can I quote your tweet? Yeah, And he said, yes. So so he did show his cards on Twitter.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, that's terrific. I mean, look, this stuff, why it is, um, shall we say, a good thing, uh, to me, there's no spiritual either. This is like, you know, you the people. you're going to judge people, okay, look at what you're doing. Can you be kind at the same time, even if you're protesting what that person is doing? And and as Ram Das would say, you know, a shitty incarnation. What to do? Um, but uh, it's a reflection. You want you know, I see myself, and I'm hoping you know, I I keep my mindfulness up as much as possible about how I am getting sucked into that in, into that particular show, and what are the things that um, you know. Uh, my desire systems and projections are getting gratified through it. So there's a, the reflection is a good thing. And when, especially if art can do that, and that's what I think you're saying about Shakespeare provided that in spades. Yeah, Yeah.
2: He's the, he's the, he's the master. But you know, the other interesting thing to me is some artists, what they do publicly say in their civilian life as quote unquote activists or volunteer work is very consistent with what they do as an artist. I would say Springsteen being exhibit a of that. Yeah. But then you've got the phenomenon of um, John Voigt or Eric Clapton, who are two people that are, you know, taking positions publicly that I completely disagree with uh, uh, Voigt being an ardent, ardent Trumper and an ardent demonizer of quote unquote liberals. And yet I still think he's one of the best actors alive. And, you know, I, 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 am fine with watching him and Ray Donovan or some of the older movies and just, well, I disagree with him politically, but he's an incredible actor similarly with Clapton. I got a lot of, you know, recently he's been like virulently anti-vax and took a photo with the governor of Texas, who's yeah. <laughs> uh, God created the governor of Texas. Also, but, man, his political positions have been as right wing as any American politician in our lifetime. And why Clapton needed to take that photo with him and this fanatical anti-vax thing. And yet, what, am I going to turn off Layla if it comes on the radio? I'm not going to turn it off. I mean, so the art has an almost people can be channels There is the art can exist separately sometimes from from the artist in in a weird way, although you've got to give the artist the respect of being the vessel for it. And, um, you know, I find that just an amazing phenomenon. But I'm not saying there's nothing that an artist could do that would make me turn off to them. But so far, I still can listen to Cream, even if I disagree with what (laughs) Clapton says about uh, about uh, Vax mandates.
1: Yeah. And then there's uh, I read this uh, you know this article in Rolling Stone of course and uh, and they threw in Van Morrison really no no
2: Van again he's he's in the same bucket with uh, with with Clapton on this subject uh, you know I totally disagree with him but you know one of my favorite artists of all time so um, I don't know what to make of that you know my mother. Loved the poetry of Ezra Pound, and so did Allen Ginsberg. Even though Pound was literally a pro-Nazi for a period during World War II, mm. and uh, you know, it's how do you how do you make that uh, distinction? I, I don't know. There are times when maybe you can't. Um, uh, I can't root for the New York Knicks anymore after uh, <laughs> after James Dolan was so pro Trump and ejected Charles Oakley from Madison Square Garden. But I can still appreciate the artistry of of Clapton and Van Morrison and, and John Voight, and I think that's a good thing. And I think the idea that Chris Christie loves Springsteen, you know, there's this thing. Chris Christie, Republican governor of of, of New Jersey, and you know, very big Trump supporter. Now he's saying he's trying to distance himself from Trump, but clearly somebody whose politics are very different from mine um, is this obsessive, uh, Springsteen fan. And he's seen 150 shows, you know, those certain kind of Springsteen fans that mm. keep track of how many shows they've seen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so when, when my wife Karen and I went to see the Springsteen on Broadway, it was right after Trump got elected, like a few weeks after, um, uh, uh, Christie was in the audience, like one row away from us. And then, um, you know, we went uh, backstage cause they came out, you're very sweet, you know, oh yeah, you guys come backstage. And, and I noticed, so I said I, to, 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 uh, to, to Bruce's manager, John Land, I said, I noticed, um, you didn't invite Chris Christie backstage. He says, no, no, we, we, we let him meet Bruce once uh during Hurricane Sandy, when he was supportive of Obama's rescue efforts, but beyond that we we don't want to uh you know seem to be endorsing him. you know, I'm yeah. paraphrasing John you know yes, he said yes. it a little more artfully than that yes. but um you know um it's it's uh but I think that's a good thing that 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 springsteen it may not convert people politically but they connect with him as an artist and as a human being. So it, it takes some of the polarization away that, you, you know, that old expression to disagree without being disagreeable, which is increasingly difficult at certain levels of the society. But, you know, if everyone's singing along to the same chorus, even if they voted differently, they're still singing along to the same chorus. I think that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, especially at a Bruce Springsteen concert when that's singing along in that chorus because he has the ability to transmit heart. No, and he
2: says so many times. I I quote also in the book his famous thing. He says at every show I've ever seen, nobody wins unless everybody wins. Yeah. You know, Uh, that's an aspiration, but that's a good aspiration.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it happens at his uh, his shows briefly for a few hours, yeah. So uh, the other thing uh, that uh, that you inserted into this book from one page to another, or at various uh, places, is what I think is super, super important. Uh, that give a sense of what possibilities there are to transform ourselves. And and mostly through, of course, the polarity, which is so devastating now that it's uh, it's even to the point where ma- many people are are just uh, they're feeling, can this ever change? Kind of a thing. It becomes it's such a huge huge uh, divide, and so I think it's important that that we whoever we are can talk about. What are the things that we need to look at in ourselves that can be changed, and uh, how how is that going to get affected uh, in the in society in general? And so you tell this uh, one story, uh, Sarah Silverman, the comedian, and uh, she, I think she tells the story of. Uh, you know, the the rabid Donald Trump supporters, um, and she said she found common ground by talking about family issues with them. And uh, they, you know, they had a low opinion of, of Obama, uh, but they got health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. You know, we've all looked at that and went, well, wait a minute. That just doesn't mean anything. Um, but she chose to not point out the apparent disconnect, right, which is interesting as well. And she told the Washington Post, I don't want to make people look dumb. I think people can be changed, but they're never going to be changed by feeling judged. That's a huge critical thing and i'm so glad that you uh, have had that yeah
2: i i've never met sarah silverman i hope i get to meet her sometime i'm a huge fan of hers anyway yeah and she she had this show that was on for a while i think it was on hulu um i think it was called i love you america or something like that and it only ran a couple of years it was canceled i think in 2019 but that was a um describing one of the episodes from there. And she really tried to play with that. And she's an ardent lefty. She was an ardent, yeah. ardent Bernie Sanders supporter who only supported Biden after Bernie withdrew. And, uh, and um, uh, you know, um, at the same time, just had this no- a notion that ran through her series, not only in that episode of, of trying to find connect with the humanity. Chelsea Handler did the same thing in a special she did about uh, white privilege um, I, I, I forget if it was on Netflix or Amazon, but one of those things mm. where where she where she went and talked to people, and including you know so called Republican or Trump places uh, about 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 race. And I think it's an area that's easier for artists to explore than politicians. Politicians have a tough job; they need fifty one percent. You know, artists if they get two or three percent, they're doing fine. Uh, and and politicians are susceptible to vulnerable to negative advertising in a way that, that artists aren't. So there are certain areas that artists can explore to create the space for politicians. And that's certainly what happened with the gay rights movement, where artists had to create the space for politicians to support gay marriage and so on. Uh, I think hip hop helped educate a generation of white kids about, about that policemen look differently. If you, if your color was dark than it did, if, if it was white mm. and, um, Yeah, she's really interesting um, the way she addresses what she does. And she's she's not the only one. There are some that just love to insult Trump and Republicans every day. Bette Midler tweeting and Rob Reiner and, you know, everybody has a different role to play. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm very taken with with Sarah Silverman's approach.
1: Well, that comment is uh, is key to me, to the whole thing. Yeah. If we walk around doing that, we there's nothing to expect. In terms no. of transformation, crossing the divide between the uh, tribes. Well, you know, a- you
2: were so close to Ramdas, and Ramdas, um, on the one hand, uh, in the last decade of his life, anyway, had a Republican, had George W. Bush, and then later Trump on his puja table. I think, and as a reminder mm-hmm. to love everybody, including people hardest to love, and yet I never had the slightest doubt about who Ramdas voted for or mm-hmm. what his opinions were about the no. issues of the day. He never was cute about that. You, you knew how he felt about the war in Vietnam and about, about the civil rights movement and about politics. So the balance between loving someone and being able to disagree with them on certain things is, is, is quite a tightrope, you know? Yep. Um, yep. Uh, how do you deal with that inside your own head?
1: I do podcasts with you to remind me. <laughs> there's a, there's another perspective. I mean, it's terrible, terrible. I, you know, I, I see my mind so clearly it's one thing, uh, you know, doing practice for a long time and you get older and you go, okay, now it's like it, uh, uh, basketball players talk about coming from the college ranks to the pros. And then suddenly they say at one point after a few years, finally, it starts to slow down the game slows down and your, your moment to moment in it is so much more profound. And of course you become um, a much better player and, and the same thing happens. I'm seeing all of this and I see my, Oh, I just want to jump in and, and hate that person and, and just, you know, defile and, uh, you know, the whole animalistic uh, thing that's in us humans. And, um, so uh, to me, it's a mindful exercise.
2: Period. Yeah, it reminds me. You know, um, uh, you know, one of the characters from the '60s that I really admire a lot is Ed Sanders. And, oh and, you know, God, who would of, know him except me? And and he had a group called the Fugs. Yeah, at the peak, at the peak, this is in '67 or '68, the peak of the anti-war movement, and you know, the 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 polarization of it. He writes this song. I think it was him. It might have been one of his colleagues in the Fugs, Tully Kufferberg. Yeah. But they, he sang it called "Kill for Peace."
1: Yeah, no.
2: <laughs> and it was and it was a brilliant what art can do. It was an immediate satire about the absurdity of saying you're for peace in an angry tone of voice. It's, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's, it's not going to create peace. Yeah. It's you great. know. Kill for peace, you know. Yeah. Uh, and we again, saw that
1: at Goddard, where we were at Goddard at the yeah. con- convention, the, the thing. Oh my God, that's bringing stuff out of the Kill, world. kill, kill for peace. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, shit. He's still alive. I, I, oh, I really? I don't, and- I don't have a regular contact with him, but he lives in Woodstock and uh, incredible legacy as an artist, a poet, uh, you know, 60s character.
1: But their live act was extraordinarily off the wall. Nothing I have never oh, seen. my like The first
2: that. time I saw the Fugs, I must have been eighteen or nineteen. I, I couldn't believe that you were allowed to do that on a stage. It was <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> radical at the time. Today, it 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 wouldn't be as as radical. But he was right on the cutting edge, and you know, he was the one when when at the peace march when they decided they were magically going to levitate the Pentagon that read this long incantation. <laughs> uh, Most of it written by Allen Ginsberg, but delivered by, by uh, Sanders, you know, uh, interesting character. He wrote a book called Fug You that okay. I, uh, a good for people that are obsessed with the sixties, which I'm sure is part of the audience for, uh, you know, be here now. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's quite a good, uh, quite a good memoir.
1: Uh, okay. So here's what happened to me. I was living in Montreal where I'm from. And one day we decided to take some acid, and somebody had this very pure Czechoslovakian acid that I decided I'll take two. Must have been and something towards you know a thousand. I mean it was so you know it's the most I ever had taken in in my little short life. And so yeah, I went into this pretty um, flipping in and out kind of state, and my friend said. My friends oh we're going to go to a club, and we're going to see this group from the lower east side. the fugs i'd never heard of them and oh, went, so you saw the fugs on acid com- but way be, I was completely in an in and out wow. of of so many yeah, different yeah, yeah. uh civilizations that <laughs> i can't tell you. And I went in, and then there, there he is. There's Ed on, the, you know, at the microphone, acting like it's a phallic thingy. Right, and right, I'm right. Like, oh my god! I mean, that was it. I sobered up so fast, you can not imagine. <laughs> oh, the fugs! I'm glad we have that. Um, okay, before I did want to get this one other thing because the the dispute that that plays out. You talk about uh, scientists. Uh, trusting science, uh, and in the 60s, you say, "ops," I never heard this. Opposition to the fluoridization fluoridation of drinking water was a popular hobby horse in right wing subculture. Where the hell? Did oh you yeah, the John now?
2: Birch Society. Absolutely no, the John Birch Society, which which was the cutting edge of the right wing in the 50s and 60s, and and uh, certainly, you know, inspired the Steve Bannons of the future. Uh, and was heavily supporting of Goldwater. They there was a th- th- there was this um, belief at that time that the fluoridation of water, which was a health measure that dentists really championed because it dramatically reduced the tooth decay, um, that that was somehow um, uh, you know was similar in a way to the anti-vax uh, paranoia. I would
1: call mandate, others right? would
2: say caution. Um, And uh, and um, the the uh, there was an anti fluoridation movement. And in a few states, I think Utah was one of them in a few states uh, banned the fluoridation of water. And this was then satirized in the movie Dr. Strangelove, which was certainly one of my favorite films when I was in high school Mm. and a a very influential uh, anti anti anti-war film, uh, anti-Cold War film. And uh, actually, Oliver Stone. Decades later, when he interviewed Vladimir Putin for a series on Showtime, showed him Dr. Strangelove. And then and then they have this conversation about it afterwards. And in that the the crazy uh, general who uh, decides to uh, trigger a nuclear war without the permission of the president. I think his name was General Ripper, uh, played (laughs) by um, uh, I think it was played by Sterling. Sterling. Oh, no. Sterling Sterling Hayden. Hayden. Yeah. Yeah. goes on this rant to Peter Sellers, who played three different parts in it, one of which was as a British officer because they were allies of the Americans sharing space at a military installation about uh, the evils of fluoridation and how it quote unquote, (laughs) you know, saps your vital bodily fluids. So this was a conversation going on in the sixties. It's mutated in this era. Uh, I just, Look, I just I know people that are anti-vax. Unlike, you know, there are some I don't know people who doesn't
1: who doesn't or who doesn't know people that are, you know, pro-vax. Yeah. Well,
2: more people are pro-vax. First of all, let's not forget we are the majority. The majority Uh voted for Biden. The majority voted twice for Obama. Uh, The majority supports Democrats for Congress, even though the way that they draw the state lines and everything doesn't always give us a majority in the legislature. And a majority of people uh, have a vaccination. Um, I know, um, you know, one, you know, a couple of people uh, that that have problems with it, and I I empathize because, look, it's not like there's no fear to be had of big pharmaceutical companies. I mean, these are not institutions that seem to be set up just only to do good for mankind. They're mm-hmm. they're gigantic profit machines. Mm that have a lot of blood on their hands. Some of them, you know, when you look at Oxycontin, for example, and other things like that, or, or this, the obscene prices in this country versus Canada and other places for, you know, mm-hmm. insulin and other drugs. On the other hand, um, I remember when my uh, first kid, Katie was, uh, you know, three months old or whatever. And I saw the pediatrician and he says, well, this would be the time for her to get vaccinated. But I have to tell you, uh, you know, there's a seven in one million chance that this bad thing could happen with this vaccine, and there's a mm. twelve in one million chance. So finally, he—I I was pretty friendly with the guy. I said, "Jay, what did you do with your daughter?" He said, "She was vaccinated." I said, "Fine. If it's good enough for you. It's good enough for me <laughs> because that's the only way I know how to think about it. Yeah. Is really the." to ask my doctor, but not everybody has a personal relationship with a doctor. That's like a middle-class or an upper middle-class luxury. A lot of people go to clinics. They don't get to know the doctors. Mm -hmm. They're not treated very nicely when they go for their, for for, for medical treatment. And I guess they are susceptible to this sort of a thing. And of course, look, nothing is perfect. Seatbelts aren't perfect. They just dramatically reduce the amount of people killed in car accidents. Motorcycle helmets aren't perfect, uh, but, you know, um, it's um, I I don't personally see why people would choose to be more scared of the vaccine than they are of some snake oil type thing that's being sold on some website saying it's good for you. But, uh, you know, um, it's uh, Mm. that's not a new conversation. What's new is the way it's been
1: politicized. And, and you go back to Springsteen's quote in, in this, in your book, which is the uh, transient, restless, independent, solitary. Yeah. I, you cannot mandate anything. And I, um, you know, and that's. Well, but
2: it's not, you can't have a society of millions of people. Based on that, you would have no traffic lights. You would have no speed limits. You would right. have no controls of pollution, and you know you would have a lot more suffering. You know, yeah. you, you, you know that 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 there is a from the earliest societies. Societies made rules for the well-being of the society as a whole that individuals had to uh, deal with. Well, and, um, and here the question we are. Is, where do you draw that line? Yeah. Here and we how are. How do you draw that line? Yeah. And why are you drawing that line? Is it genuinely for the reasons that are said? Or is it a manipulated demagogic thing just so people can get high ratings on some cable show or, you know, win a Republican primary? Uh, complicated questions because uh, there are people of goodwill on the vax thing. I think they're wrong, but but it's not just uh, Trumpers who have an issue with no, that. No,
1: absolutely not. Part of the so-called
2: yeah. new age community. Yeah, people exactly. that you and I know pretty well have... Yeah. Uh, have, exactly. have had this issue in the
1: past. Yeah. So, yeah, the the way this polarization is blowing up in every aspect of our lives is pretty extraordinary. It really is. And, uh, yeah. But Biden
2: still won. Trump was defeated. You know, he controlled yes. the post office. He controlled, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the media. Uh, he had enormous amount of money behind him. Um, but there was a collective sense that this was just not the direction that most people wanted to go. Now, we don't know that the majority is going to control what happens next. We don't have a system that reflects the majority all the time, but I I'd I'd rather have the majority on our side than on the other side. And uh, look, I don't envy Biden and those folks trying to get their message out and they make plenty of mistakes and not all of them are great people, but I think there's better intentions writ large Hmm. through my, through my point of view as, as our mutual and teach, to me, teacher Bernie Glassman used to say, always good to start every sentence with, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. From <laughs> you know? Bernie. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> In so my great. opinion. So, uh, here, we're going to end up on, on a uh, positive note here. Uh, again, I always like to look for the potential for transformation and what, what uh, uh, ideas and thoughts can help point us in that direction. So the very, very first thing in the book, and this is crazy because this is not something I remember, and it's Bob Dylan. And I'm, I'm connecting this in my own way, and it may not be what was intended, but that's the beauty of art. Uh, and that is where uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama suggested that the future is dependent on mother's who have 100% compassion in them, and they transmit that to their children. He said, that is what is going to be our uh, potential transformation uh, of, of the human race, basically. Uh, I mean, this is not new news, but here's Dylan. Sing of the mountains and the deep dark sea. Sing of the lakes and the nymphs in the forest. Sing your hearts out, all of you women of the chorus, sing of honor and fame and glory be mother of muses, sing for me. Bob Dylan, the song is Mother of Muses.
2: Yeah, I love that song. You know That album, his most recent album, Rough and Rowdy Ways, uh, came out during the pandemic. And the first song that came out from it was this amazing song, Murder Most Foul, a 17 minute song you know, yeah. contemplation and reflection on the JFK assassination juxtaposed with a tribute to the role of music in, in the culture. And, uh, but the song mother of muses ended up being my favorite song on the record. And I I'm mm. uh, very grateful I got permission to use the yeah. lyrics without having to pay for it. Cause I didn't have a budget for that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I just love that lyric mother of muses because muses, you know, are said to be the people who inspire artists yeah, and the idea that there's a mother of muses to me tunes in with the idea of the divine mother of the universe, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know there's always been a hint of the spiritual in Dylan. Sometimes it's explicit, like in that song "Every Grain of Sand." Sometimes it's more subtle, but it really, it really had a vibe that reflected kind of the feeling that I wanted to approach the subject matter with, and uh, it's an excuse for me to think about that song, which Sunday. Uh, Karen and I are going to the beacon and I've noticed on the playlist of the songs that Dylan has been doing on this tour, he is going to sing mother of music. Oh, you're going
1: you. to see Dylan at the, yeah, beacon.
2: if he sings the same, usually when he does a tour, it's pretty much the same playlist once he sets it for the tour. Hmm. So I, I think we have a good chance of seeing him sing it live no, on, uh, Sunday no. night. At the ah, beacon.
1: Very opportune. Well, thanks for being here, Danny. That hey,
2: was, Ragu, was thank you. Great. Thank you for doing all of the podcasts you do, and for creating a vehicle for uh, the spirit in the way that you do it, and letting me uh, thank you. you, know, visit every once in a while.
1: Thank you, thank you. Uh, and by the way, there'll be links to uh, Danny's book, and uh, probably a couple of links. They'll pick out a podcast or two of yours from the past that uh, would might be relevant to everything we're saying now. Be interesting. We'll see what they do. So again, thank you, thank you, everybody. This is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and just visit the plethora of incredible thought leaders and teachers and so on. Alan, uh, I was going to say Alan Ginsberg. Jesus. I wonder if we shouldn't see about getting some of Alan's uh, uh, talks and poetry readings. That would be cool. I'll have to talk to you about that offline. But I was going to say Alan Watts is now part of the whole thing. So, everybody, we shall see you next week. Bye, Danny. Bye-bye.